me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman, one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through the promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children of slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is under. She is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. God, we thank you that you've set us free. I pray in the name of Jesus you'd set people free today who maybe are bound by sin, bound by legalism, bound by performance, bound by striving in their effort to be good enough for you. Thank you that the work of the cross was complete. It is finished. Help us rest in that. In Jesus' name, anoint your word now. Amen. You may be seated. When a virus or disease infects the human body, it can spread and cause much damage. Now, depending on how serious it is, one's skeletal or nervous system can be affected. What might seem small at the time can become immobilizing or possibly lethal. Polio is one such example, a highly contagious virus that can seriously hinder one's ability to walk. What a virus can do to our physical lives, legalism can do to our spiritual lives. Legalism will attack your spiritual nervous system, rob you of the ability to walk in the joy and freedom that Jesus came to give you. We need a cure. Just like polio needed a cure, we need a cure for this virus that can affect us spiritually. Well, beloved, that cure is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the message that we're learning in Galatians. That cure is what Jesus accomplished at the cross. That cure is your identity in Christ. That cure is the inheritance you have as an heir of God. That cure is living in the power of the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Now, one thing that makes one more susceptible to this spiritual virus is if you have been raised in a family that is legalistic, that is performance-based. If you were raised in a family where you come home with all A's but one B, and yet the focus is on the one B. If you were raised in a family where you had done great on the gridiron or great at the music recital, but all you heard when you got home was the one mistake you made. You see, that kind of relationship with our earthly family can easily transfer and infect your relationship with God. You begin to think that you must earn God's love, you must earn God's favor. And even if you understand salvation like Angela did, it is so easy to fall back into this works, 
performance-based approach to God. Yeah, I know that I'm saved and I'm going to heaven because of the work of Christ, but to really have God love and accept me, I've got to perform. I've got to obey perfectly. I've got to achieve. I've got to strive in my human effort. Is that you today? Well, if it is, I'm telling you, God can set you free. He can set you free from that. And so be aware of the infection that can come to you called legalism. And in this book, that is what happened to these believers. They had gotten legitimately saved by the grace of God. They understood the gospel. And then these Judaizers came in, these false teachers came in, who began to say to them, yeah, Jesus' work is great, but you also need to be circumcised. You also need to obey the law of Moses. And they began to heap upon these Galatian believers these legalistic requirements, these rules that they had to follow. And so they are confused. And Paul comes in with the good medicine. <laughs> Paul comes in with the cure. Paul comes in saying, I've got to bring truth to bear to come against this infection that has happened to these Galatian believers. Now, because we're using the word legalism a lot, let's define it. Legalism is trying to earn the approval of God and others by good works. You strive to be good enough. You have to earn the approval of God. And you have to earn the approval of others. And so image maintenance is a big one with legalists because even if you're struggling inside, what do you have to do? You have to appear before others as if you've got it all together because if I'm really transparent about how I'm doing, you might not accept me because my okayness with myself is based on you accepting me. And so for you to accept me, I have to have this appearance of godliness, this appearance of godliness and, 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 and performance and all of that to earn your approval or your love. But the good news today is that the gospel gives forgiveness and approval by the work of Jesus. Beloved, let that set you free today. The gospel gives forgiveness and approval by the work of Jesus. And once you understand that, you begin to walk in joy and freedom before God and joy and freedom before others because you're not dependent on their approval to make you okay with yourself. Boy, it's, it's so liberating. So, to understand this passage today, what Paul does in Galatians 4 is, is actually brilliant. He draws from Abraham in the book of Genesis. And I'm going to give you a very quick flyover Reader's Digest verses, I believe, are in your notes, or I'll quote them, but let's not put them on the screen because I, I'm going to have to race through this. But what he does under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is actually brilliant. He goes back to Abraham... To, to draw in these Jewish believers because these Jewish believers always regarded Abraham as their father because he's the one that began the Jewish people, the Jewish nation. You know, we sing the song, Father Abraham had many sons, many sons had father. Well, they were big on Father Abraham. So he draws upon that. I mean, it's just amazing that the Holy Spirit would do this. And so basically, let me just quickly remind you, God promised to Abraham that he would be the father of many nations. That is in Genesis chapter 12. But God gets more specific in Genesis 15 by telling him that the promise is going to be to he and Sarah, his wife. And that is in Genesis 15, 6, quoted three times in the New Testament, which says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. This is a key Old Testament passage about justification by faith that is quoted three times in the New Testament. Abraham believed the promise. It was declared to him as righteous. He hadn't done anything but believe the Word of God. That is the Old Testament pattern for justification by faith. However, 
There's only one problem. His wife, Sarah, was not having children. The promise was given to Abraham when he was 75. Abraham was 75. Sarah was 65. Ten years had passed and nothing had happened. So what do they do? They come up with this brilliant idea. Abraham and Sarah decided that they would help God out. By the way, God doesn't need your help. God doesn't need your help. And if you try to help him out, there's going to be a heap of problems, and that's what happened. Because Sarah goes, Abraham, I'm not able to get pregnant. God obviously made a mistake when he said that it would come through me. So, hey, here's your maidservant. Let's see if it works that you have relations with Hagar, your maidservant. Maybe that's the way it's going to happen. Let's help God out. So 10 years after the promise, what happens? Abraham goes into Hagar. They have a son. That son is named Ishmael. Ishmael was not the promised child. He was a child of the flesh. So then God came back and said, no, 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 no going to be through Sarah. Y'all got it wrong. I got it right. Let's try again. And sure enough, God supernaturally allows Sarah to have a child. His name is Isaac. That's the son of promise. This was fulfilled 25 years after the initial promise. And we get impatient when things don't happen yesterday. <laughs> 25 years later, the Bible says in Romans chapter 4 that Abraham is now close to 100 and Sarah is in her 90s. One more detail is that it says that Ishmael began to persecute Isaac. He was a wild donkey and he'd had made war with all of his brothers. And then later, in Genesis 21, Sarah says, put Hagar and Ishmael away. And all of these come to bear in Galatians 4. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul draws upon this to make some amazing parallels for you and me as it relates to legalism. So from Isaac, you have the Jewish people. From Ishmael, you have Arab nations. And from Jesus... You have a Savior for all people, Jew, Arab, Gentile, Oriental, African, every tribe, nation, tongue, and people. Hallelujah. Let me read that again. From Isaac, you have the Jewish people. From Ishmael, you have the Arab nations. But from Jesus, you have a Savior for all people, Arab, Jew, Gentile, Oriental, African, every tribe, nation, tongue, and people. Isn't that good news today? So that's a super Reader's Digest version, flyover. Now I want to give you a chart showing you the words and the language that Paul uses in Galatians 4. He reminds these people that Abraham had two sons because they prided themselves that they were a product of Isaac. And they were. In the flesh, they were. But he reminds them that there were two sons, Isaac and Ishmael. And he goes through by describing that Ishmael was born of a slave woman, Hagar, but Isaac was born of the free woman, Sarah, that Ishmael was a product of the flesh, a work of man and woman's energy, them helping God out, trying to figure out how to help him out, but Isaac was a child of the promise, and that Ishmael was representative of the old covenant, Mount Sinai, where God gave the Ten Commandments, 
And those Ten Commandments put you under bondage. They, put, they simply, as we've learned in Galatians, the purpose of the law is simply to convict you of sin, to drive you to the cross. It's not to make you try harder to be good enough for God. Isaac is representative of the new covenant. Ishmael represents the law. Isaac represents grace, free gift of God. Ishmael puts you under slavery because you'll never do enough. And the Bible says in Galatians that if you could earn your way to God, Christ didn't need to die. If you could somehow do enough good to earn salvation and acceptance from God, then Jesus died needlessly. But Isaac represents freedom. The freedom knowing that your sins are forgiven, wiped away, that you have the imputed righteousness of Christ, and that you're accepted and loved, therefore you don't have to do anything to, be, to have this relationship with God other than repent and receive it by faith. And then Ishmael represents that which is born of the flesh. Isaac is what can be birth of the Holy Spirit. And see, Ishmael is what you can do with your fleshly efforts. But Isaac is what only God can do. And I've often thought of this picture when I think of not only salvation, but just in our own lives how often we create things in the flesh. We create Ishmael's rather than waiting on the Isaacs. I tell single people a lot, do not create an Ishmael when it comes to your life partner. Wait on the Isaac of the Spirit. It's much better to wait on the Isaac of the Spirit than to have a son of the flesh. Ministries, churches do this. We create Ishmael's in the flesh because we got to keep up with the church down the road. Oh, they did a big production at Easter, so we better do that. we got to outdo them. And that can be an Ishmael instead of it being an Isaac of the Spirit. And so we need to be sensitive to the leading of God. There's so much application here, but we're just going to narrow it down today mostly to how it affects us in this issue of legalism. Imagine today that someone came to your job and they decided or offered to work your job, work for you. You just can go home and not only do they work for, your, for, for you, but they give you all the benefits. You get the pay, the 401k and everything that comes with it. Can you imagine that today? Well, that's what Jesus has done for you. He has done the work and gives you all the benefits. He's done the work by fulfilling the law by paying the price for your sins, by imputing to your spirit his righteousness. And he puts all those benefits in your spiritual account, and you can withdraw them at any moment. That, my friends, is called grace. That, my friends, is called the gospel. But if you want to strive to work and earn your way, go ahead, even though you'll never be able to do enough to be perfect. So I want to give you now just a Another way of looking at this, again, Paul is using the, the, the son of Hagar and the son of Sarah to contrast law and grace. And so with the law, you have this justice scale that is, a, is symbolic of us having to do enough, striving to, to, to make sure that our good deeds outweigh our bad. You see, law is what you do, grace is what God does. You see, law strives, but grace rests. Because I'm resting in the finished work of Christ. Law is about performance. Grace is about a person. <laughs> oh, law has to. Grace wants to. 
You see, law controls. Grace frees you. You see, law is not relational. Grace is highly relational. Law beats up. Grace builds up. You see, law is fear-based. Grace is love-based. Law condemns. Grace forgives. That's the good news. I don't want Ishmael. I don't want to be an Ishmael. And, and, and it also says, got to get rid of Ishmael. Now, this language seems a little harsh, but in Genesis 21, Sarah made Hagar and Ishmael leave. Paul draws upon that, I believe, to basically say, you cannot tolerate these Judaizers. you got to get rid of them. There is no place for law in grace. You see? He's saying, you got to get rid of this in your life. you got to get rid of this in your church because it is a germ that will infest and do much damage. So let me state this another way. You have these statements in your notes. So get ready for this because I believe for many of you, this is going to hit home. Now, what, what happens is this is usually not an all or nothing thing. Some of us have broken free from legalism in some areas, but in others, it can be easy to fall back into some of these. So we can have small levels of, of, of this virus in our system. Some are totally infested with this virus. Others, it's just little bits and pieces. And the, the thing today is God wants you to be healthier. God wants to use this to help you be more and more free, more, walking in great freedom. So I'm going to give you a number of statements contrasting legalism with true Christianity. And if they hit home, just maybe put a check mark. And, that, and that's, the, the, that's for you and the Holy Spirit to deal with this later because God may want to take you, some of you deeper into grace today. First of all, legalism tries hard to earn God's favor, but true Christianity trusts in Jesus for God's favor. You see, again, legalism is trying hard, just like, just like Abraham and Hagar, they, they, they did this in the flesh. They tried hard to help God out. But true Christianity understands the gospel, understands the completeness of the cross, and chooses, and listen, it takes humility. It takes humility to say, I can't, Jesus did it, I'm going to rest in that. Second, legalism never feels like it does enough. Oh, some of you can relate. But true Christianity realized that Jesus did enough. Do you feel that way? Are you focused more on how you fail than what Jesus did? Are you constantly focusing on where you don't do well and you need to beat yourself up? You need to make sure you feel really guilty for that to show that you're sincere. Or... Do you realize that Jesus did enough, and even when you do fail, you can bring that to the cross, receive his forgiveness, and move on? Legalism, thirdly, depends on the energy of the flesh. It's you striving. It's you doing this. But true Christianity lives in the power of the Holy Spirit. Oh, there's such a difference. And we're getting there. Galatians 5, where we'll be after the new year, yeah, it deals with the, it contrasts the works of the flesh and then the fruit of the Spirit. Next, legalism gets identity from performance. So I get my identity from what I do. Pat myself on the back, not only from myself, but from others patting me on the back because I've performed so well. 
but true Christianity gets identity from Jesus. Next, legalism has to maintain one's image. Again, this image maintenance, it's all about how I look to others because I'm getting my life from you thinking that I'm something, and so I've got to maintain that image. Boy, this is, you know, and you can never be vulnerable because you risk what you think is going to be rejection by the other person. And so you have to keep up this image. Whether you, you might be really struggling at home in your marriage or with your kids or something, but you can never share that with anybody because you think they'll think less of you and your identity is from their acceptance of you, so you've got to make sure it all looks good, even though it's a totally different picture when you get home. But see, true Christianity can be honest and transparent. Now, it doesn't mean you spill your beans to everybody. There's proper transparency. You, 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 you have people in your life that you can be vulnerable with because you know they're going to love you, they're going to they're accept you no matter what because they understand this too. This is why sometimes you got to get rid of the Hagars and Ishmaels. Legalism next leads to Pharisaical self-righteousness. Remember how hard Jesus was on the Pharisees? Because they were all good on the outside, but he says inside they were like dead man's bones. But true Christianity is about Christ's imputed righteousness. You see, my right standing with God is based on what He did. It's been imputed into my spirit the moment I'm saved, and it's not about my self-righteousness. It's about what Christ has given me as a gift. Legalism leads to pride. It's what I do, but true Christianity walks in humility because it's all about what Christ has done for me. Next, legalism is often, oh, oh, now this one might hit home for some of you. You might just put a little small check mark by it if it hits home. Legalism is often critical of self and others. But true Christianity is full of thanks and praise. You see, if I'm living this performance-based, law-based system, then when I fail, I'm going to be very critical of myself, and I'm going to be critical of others who who are failures as well. So that leads right into the next one. Legalism judges and looks down on others who aren't as righteous. See, you've set the standard of righteousness. And like Angela said, she used to think drums was bad. Can't have drums, especially in church. So if a church had drums, I bet you judge them. I bet you, I bet you put them down. Well, they're not a godly church because they have that kind of music. You see? And so it's, a, it's this constantly putting others down. And, and you know what happens? We put others down because we think that raises us up. We think that makes us superior. I'm better than those Christians. I'm better than that kind of person. Now, does this mean that we overlook sin? Well, maybe we'll get into that in the Q&A. No, it doesn't. But it's how we approach sin. We approach sin with compassion love, understanding, and always wanting to point those who maybe are in true sin to the cross. See, true Christianity loves others because of God's grace. Next, legalism pretends to be about truth. Oh, they'll claim that they have truth, but it's usually man-made rules. But true Christianity is about both truth and grace. Next, legalism will come after your freedom. And this is where he brings in the Hagar and Ishmael, but true Christianity will fight for its freedom 
And sometimes that means you have to get rid of Hagar and Ishmael. They can't exist together. And then finally, this is a bonus one I've added since your notes were printed. Legalism focuses on the outward, but true Christianity focuses on the heart. And that heart leads to the outward. The heart leads to behavior. So does this mean obedience and godliness doesn't matter? Not at all. But it's all about what Angela said. It's all about motives. And so let me give you a final example, and then we'll have some Q&A. Let's suppose today, Sarah, are you here? Where's my daughter? My daughter here? Where are you? There you are. Let's suppose that my beautiful, gorgeous daughter today, I said, hey, Sarah, for Christmas this year, I want to give you a brand spanking new automobile. Pick it out, whatever it is, I'm going to pay for it, lock, stock, and barrel, whatever it costs, truck, car, forerunner, whatever you want, okay? Now, if she said, if I genuinely did that, if she said, but Dad, I, I, I want to I pay some, I want to contribute, I want to earn that, that would be an insult to me. That would take away my, my gift. So she receives that, it's hers. Every time she gets in that new car, what do I want? I want her to be so joyful, to be thankful. Man, how awesome of a dad I have who did that. Every time she starts that thing and, and goes, that she would be so grateful and just receive that and let my love be poured out on her. Furthermore, I'd want her to take really good care of it. I, I would never want her to just say, oh, it was a free gift, and so I'm just going to, you know, not take good care of this, never going to get the oil changed, never going to get a tune-up, tire gets low, just let it go. Well, that's the Christian who abuses grace. You see? But the true Christian who understands all that Christ has done and who they are in Christ, what do they, they want to please God. They want to love God. They're joyful. They're appreciative. Oh, the car, they will have an accident. There will be times when Maybe she has a minor fender bender or maybe a big accident. Then what? I want her to get it fixed. And I'll help her fix it. <laughs> you see? And so when we sin, which we will, we quickly repent. We, get, we go for help. We take it to the mechanic. We get counseling if we need it. We get prayer. But we don't earn any of it. We run that car, take good care of that car, fix it when it's broken, because it was such a wonderful gift from our Heavenly Father. Hallelujah be to God. So I hope this is helpful. This is my best attempt in 20 minutes or so to uh, deal with what John Stott says, one of the most difficult passages in the New Testament. And I know this is going to yield some questions, so I want to make sure we have time for that. All right, so text those in or raise your hand. Um, one that was sent in in advance, so I'll address it right away while you're thinking of others, is what about this issue of judging? Because we're told, don't judge lest you be judged. But in other passages, we're told to judge believers. So my definition of judging is when you uh, assume fault in another when you don't know for a fact that's true. Or assuming a negative in another. If I, if I said, oh, I bet some, one of, some of those children that were in that thing today, they just did that so they, they, would, they would look you know, good before others. Well, that's assuming their motives. I don't know their motives. That would be judging in the wrong sense. But 
we are called to call sin, sin. And so people that will use this don't judge as a means to say you could never, you know, if, if you call somebody that's having an affair, an adulterer, oh, you're judging me. No, I'm not. I'm calling sin, sin. But even in doing that, I don't declare the final verdict. You see, judging in the non-biblical way that we're not to is declaring the final verdict. God only does that. So, we, so judging, uh, it's not judging another to call sin, sin. But even when you do see sin in another and maybe confront it, you always point them to the cross. You see? You're always giving them hope that there's forgiveness and healing at the cross. All right. Hey, um, I might have heard you wrong. Um, I think you said don't marry an Ishmael. <laughs> um, and I'm just confused about getting rid of Ishmael's and Hagar's, that whole concept, um, because that doesn't seem very loving, and it doesn't... Well, I have a struggle with boundaries. But once you're married, you're not to get rid of them. Well, yeah, I'm that's what I was yeah. confused about. I was like, <laughs> Don't use this as a means to... Oh, you know, we shouldn't have done it. You're an Ishmael. <laughs> that's, See you later, alligator. That was part it's, of the confusion. I'm challenging singles to not go into a relationship with somebody based on maybe fleshly desires, and it's not of God for various reasons. And so be willing to wait on the Isaac, God's choice for you in terms of marriage. That's what I was trying to refer to. Do you have more examples of like what is Ishmael and Hagar is yeah. like regular day Yeah, life, so it would be, okay, it, it might be, you know, uh, going prematurely to college instead of really praying about, do I go to college? You see, well, everybody goes to college. You know, I got to go to college to be successful. So they just go to college, but that's, that's creating an Ishmael in their life. That's a work of the flesh. They never prayed about it. They never sought God, God or having children. I tell, every, I tell couples all the time, you know, they say, well, we're going to have two and we're done. I said, did God tell you that? If we'd have done that, we'd have never had Sarah. Because we had three, and in our flesh, we were done. This is a big handful, you see? But I was going away for a day of prayer. I asked Dee, Dee anything you want me to pray about as I go away for my day of prayer? She said, pray whether we're to have another child. In my flesh, I'm thinking, I'll pray, but I don't want another child. I mean, I'm just being transparent. So you can be transparent when you're under grace. Prayed about it. God gave me the clearest. I mean, it was not an audible voice, but it could have been. It was the clearest impression I've ever had. Are you willing to trust me to be the God who opens and closes the womb? That's what I heard in prayer. I couldn't make that up. We stopped using birth control. We have the wonderful Sarah to this day, and I'm so glad we did. Hallelujah. So that, you know... It's, it's, are you making decisions based on... Here's another way. Lean not on your own understanding. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do you just do it because it seems natural? It seems what you want. Or have you really taken it to the Lord? So I tell couples all the time, pray about every child. Pray about whether you have one. Pray about whether you have two. Pray about whether you have three. Pray about whether you have more than that, if, if it's God. It's, we want to be in His will. Perfect will, not just permissive will. I hope that helps. Alex holding a child has something to say. Yeah, I actually have a warning for, the, for everyone here. Um, so, and it comes from this passage. So I uh, recently had a contractor who was at our house, and he's a part of a cult. Um, you guys maybe heard of the Mother God cult. They believe that there's God the Father and God the Mother. And they use a verse from the passage you preached on, uh, verse 26, but the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. 
Um, and that's like their key verse they point to to say that there's also God the mother. Um, but really, I just wanted to warn the church uh, because there's a, I won't call it a church, I'm gonna call it a building. They have a building in Loganville, um, and this guy lives here in Athens, and there could be others here in Athens. It's called the World Mission Society Church of God. Look them up. But they are the definition of, of legalism. We sat down um, at a place here locally, and we looked at the book of Galatians because I said we need to read this in context. I want you to see what this passage is actually saying. Unfortunately, though, he wasn't willing to look at the surrounding verses and all that stuff. But I want to warn you guys because yeah. this guy knew Scripture. He was quoting verses all over the Bible but out of context. And if you don't know the word, it, you could easily be confused and be led into legalism. They teach you have to obey all the feasts. You have to do all these other things in order to be right with God. Um, you also have to believe, obviously, that God is also a mother and all this stuff. But they don't tell you that until after you're baptized into their church. Wow. So... Just want to warn you guys, Thank make you. sure you know the word, um, make sure you understand Galatians and understand the concepts that Pastor David's preaching on. Oh, that's good, brother. Thank you so much. See, there's nothing new under the sun. Isn't it awesome that God has in his word things that he knew would help us thousands of years later? Praise God for the infallibility of his word. Amen? Amen? Amen. All right. Anybody else? I got it. Oh, well, let, me, let me address this one real quick. What about when I seem to continue to fall on the same sword? Will he eventually grow weary with regard to forgiveness? No. His mercies are new every morning. Hallelujah. Praise God. Amen? Amen. And Paul said in Romans, where sin abounds, grace, grace abounds. more, more abounds. If there's sincere repentance, sincere confession, then there's, there's bountiful grace and mercy, and we need to continually come to that table of grace and mercy. It's the enemy who condemns. It's the enemy who shames. Because what's the, 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 the alternative to, to my biblical answer to this question is that you do think it runs up, it runs out. You do think that, okay, I've done it, again, and God's so done with me, he's so frustrated with me, I'll just what? Give up. You see, there's two alternatives. When you sin, you either go to grace, or you try harder, which can lead to, again, self-righteousness, or you give up. Well, and here's where you are to go. And if you truly, truly grasp the power of the gospel, let that good news motivate you to live holy. Can pride or that pat on your back be your Ishmael? I'm sorry, say it one more time. Can self-pride or that pat on your back be your Ishmael? Can, can pride be an Ishmael? Oh, absolutely. Is, yeah, pride, I think pride and Ishmael are hand in hand. Because again, Ishmael is about what we do. It's about works of the flesh, our effort our striving, our trying to accomplish, making, we try to accomplish the promise on our own. So pride can absolutely be an Ishmael. And that's why the Bible said God opposes the proud, he gives grace to the humble. Did that answer it or did, were you asking a different way? Uh, I just, I, I've taken advantage of maybe my gifts from God, my art, my art, 
And uh, now recently I'm severely handicapped in my vision. And I just, I took a lot of selfish pride in my abilities in the past. And now I'm going through the, going through it. I didn't hear a lot of that, Shannon. Can you address he is, it? Uh, he's having the problem, you know, the, with the retina in his eyes. And he's, uh, he draws a lot, does some, and he was taking pride in his art. And he's afraid that because he had so much pride in it and everybody patting him on the back. Oh, okay. All um, right. So, yeah, let me, th th there's a, th that's not the pride that I'm, I'm talking about. Because I think there's a sense in which God wants us to receive some gratification from things that we do. Okay? But, but the, the, the wrong pride is when you think that's going to make you acceptable to God or you're taking credit for it. I know you well enough to know that, that that's not the case probably with your drawings. Yeah. You see? I think there's a sense in which I think about my, my attitude toward my grandchildren. You know, they, they do something that's using their gifts and abilities. And I want, there's a, there's a sense in which it's okay to take pride in that. They're using their gifts and abilities. These children today, they should be affirmed, you know. That's, that's not unhealthy pride. Does that make sense? I think there's a healthy uh, sense in which we can be uh, thankful for the, the abilities God has given us and that we can accomplish things. That is something that pleases your Heavenly Father. It pleases your Father that you are using your gifts in that manner, you know. Now, if you started parading those things around and said, look how great I am, look how great I am, you've probably crossed the line. You see what I'm saying? But, but I think the way you're referring to it, and the, the Father delights in you doing that. Absolutely, brother. What's that? Occasionally, I did flaunt yep. it. And you know what? He'll show you. That's the beauty about the indwelling Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit who reveals and convicts us. It's the Spirit who shows us when we've maybe crossed the line. Um, and we can just abide in Him. And that's, it's all about relationship. It's all about relationship. All right. So often I um, don't recognize when I have started living by legalism on my own. Any ideas on how to recognize that a little quicker? Well, I think, yeah, how do you recognize when you fall into legalism a little quicker? I think you're going to be a lot quicker realizing it after today because of just our discussion. Just these, the, the list that I gave you, I think that's going to make your spiritual antenna be higher. Um, I would recommend the readings that I have at the bottom of the notes today. Those books are amazing, um, the resources that I give. But the bottom line, here's the bottom line. Just ask the Holy Spirit to show you. Are That's why there's, this is so freeing, you guys, is when you truly, and I love that Angel's testimony talks about a relationship with the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, just show me if I slide into legalism. Just reveal to me if I begin to fall into a performance base, and he will. He will. Should I have memorized all the slides up there? No, because that could be legalistic. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you can, great, but don't make that your goal. Make your goal just to walk with the Lord, you understand the gospel more fully, walk with the Holy Spirit, invite the Holy Spirit to, you know, those prayers of Paul, he's praying, God, open the eyes of their heart that they grasp. It's the Holy Spirit who opens our eyes and, and shows us and reveals to us. And I think, too, you know, living around others who walk in this freedom, 
Man, that's so healthy. Being in a body of Christ is healthy, vibrant, and joyful. Um, in working with the word judgment, I've come to change the terms a little bit. And for me, it's easier to understand. From accurate assessment, if, it's, if there's an accurate assessment, that's I, not have judging. The, I have an opportunity to help them fix it. That's good. Get in their whatever, emotions, whatever it is. If I condemn it, yeah. there's, no, there's, no, there's no chance of repair. I like that. So accurate assessment, discernment, yes. is not judging. It's very, yeah, that's what I want to do is make an accurate assessment of the situation. Yeah. But often I want to condemn it yeah. because then I don't have to get into whatever mess they're in the middle of. Mm, that's good. If I make an accurate assessment, then I have to look at myself and say, okay, what is my role in helping them through whatever? That's good. That's good. All right. Worship team, why don't you head on up? You have time. Okay. Um, I wonder in this discussion and in reading the book of Galatians, if we maybe need to make a distinction between like a false gospel of legalism and like legalistic, like misconceptions. Yes. Because I mean, as I listen to this from a perspective of somebody that maybe isn't going to church often or something like that, I wonder if they might come away with a wrong so let me see if I'm getting it right. So you almost have a, a two types of legalism. The first is where it's truly a false gospel, and you're, you're depending on works, you're not even saved. But then there's the legalism within Christianity. Okay, good distinction, yes. And that's really what Paul's addressing here. These people were legitimate believers, but they had fallen back because of the Judaizers. So yes, good point. So you have, you have a works approach that can literally keep you from being saved, Okay, if you're trusting in your works to make you right with God, then this is preventing you from being saved. But even after you're saved, there can be a form of this that begins to come in and infect you. So there's legalism, false gospel, and there's legalism within the true gospel where you have added works to the grace that you once received. And that's probably more the focus of this book is those who were truly saved, but they were falling back in to this works approach because of the influence of the Judaizers. Well, Father, we love you, and we thank you today for the good news of your love, the good news of the completion of the gospel, the good news of grace. It is amazing. God, your grace is still amazing, and it sets us free. And so, God, I pray for every person that has been exposed to this message here online that they would first of all know the true gospel show them the true gospel God that they can truly repent receive you and be forgiven and be declared a child of the living God I pray for those that are saved that they would know their identity that you would reveal to them their identity in Jesus and I pray that each of us will walk in that freedom examining our motives for obedience and that our obedience would come out of relationship and not to earn or gain something that we already have. So God, to that end, I pray the power of your spirit be at work in each of our lives in Jesus' name. Let's stand together and if the prayer team would make yourselves available, please, if you'd like prayer from somebody, our prayer team will be available to pray with you and just rejoice today. Rejoice in grace.
And I'd be willing, if you, if you have something in your life today, it may be not even related to this message, but if there's something that you could just use some prayer for, share it briefly, let them pray for you. It doesn't take long, but it can lead to great things in your life to get prayer for somebody. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Oh. 